Hello everybody and welcome to Artsing About, the art podcast for everyone. My name is Georgie and I know a little bit about art. My name is Sophie and I know very little about art. Whether you know tons about art, know next to none like Soph, have listened to all of our episodes, you can't have because this is our first, but we're anticipating an empire of podcasts and that you're a future listener, or none at all. We are here to make art fun, interesting and open to everyone. So why are we doing this podcast, Ove? So to go back to the beginning, mm. we we both did art history at school and then I went down a different path and you went and did history of art at university mm-hmm. and basically we're best friends and can talk for Britain and we wanted to do something where we could bring our love for art to other people. Yeah, absolutely. But I think more than that as well, Soph and I have both had experiences and conversations with people where they really express an interest in art but this common discussion seems to be I know nothing about art, I don't know how to learn about art, and I think so much of the material out there presupposes that you have an understanding of it, and actually a lot of people don't. All the language used is really complicated, and like, you can't get through. Overly academic and impenetrable. formidable. Absolutely. You know, but I think that's just such a shame, because art and other visual media is just one of the most basic forms of communication, you know, think about stupid but road signs Mm. um that's a bit of art in its own right and festival posters well you draw before you learn to write exactly Mm. you draw before you learn to write um and sure you know your four-year-old's drawing isn't going to necessarily be as brilliant as donatello's david but it is in its own right a work of art and i think it's a real shame that people aren't able to or don't feel they're able to engage with that so that's what this podcast is about i think we're here to talk about all the interesting bits of art and make it accessible and enjoyable for everyone and each week georgie and i will present a work of art to the other and teach the other about it Hmm. so painting sculpture chalk drawing building whatever it is we will talk about it and we won't tell each other beforehand what we're going to bring so it's complete surprise for the other but before we kick off with the art shall we move into the wine and cheese corner absolutely we should now right georgie i'm (laughs) i'm not quite sure why we're doing a wine and cheese corner in an art podcast no I just sort of, when we started coming up with ideas for this podcast initially, I was just immediately like, we are having a wine and cheese corner. But the thing is, I can't explain it. There's not a nice, succinct, podcast-friendly way to describe why we're doing it. All I can say is that it just feels right for an art podcast. You just wanted some wine and cheese. Some wine and cheese. So, I've got the cheese and Mm -hmm. you've got the wine. Mm Mm-hmm. So... Let's go for it. What wine have you bought? Shall Shall we get it out? Yeah. So, this is... Oh my! Nineteen crimes. Yes, we have had, had it before. I've had it before. We oh, have it at work. No, 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 no. Oh, this okay. is such a good one. It's, it's really the one good. That we have at work. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. our work wine. Yeah. So my brother-in-law introduced me to this. Yeah. And I remember taking a picture of it because I thought it was so good. But on this bottle of wine, which I highly recommend, um, is a picture of um, a criminal. A criminal. Yeah. Is the idea. That's what the back of the label is. He's a famous criminal or something. I don't really know why. Yeah. But did you know? I'm probably cheers. about to cut you off. Oh, yeah, cheers. I'm probably about to cut you off, but did you know the funky thing that bottle can do? Oh, hang on. I know this, but I don't remember it. So there's an app, and I've not done it myself, but I've told so many people about yes. it, that it brings the actual face of the guy to life. Right, right. let me have a sip. Let's try it. Mmm. Mm, oh, that nice. is really good. Really? I do say so myself. Mm. Oh, for the record, listeners, Sophie and I know absolutely nothing about wine and cheese. We just like cheese and we just like wine and that's really all there is to it. Shall I tell you what I like about a wine, when I know I like a wine, is when I can drink it like water. Although instinctively I go for a red wine, I really like a white wine because you can just chuck a load of ice in it. I quite like a rosé. Oh, I like a rosé. God, I love a rosé. Were you hoping I was going to bring a rosé? No, I'm not really sure, but the thing is, we're recording this on... I don't know if it's the hottest day of the year so far, but it is so hot. So when Sophie whipped out the red, I was ever so slightly surprised. I think I thought it was going to be... I know. Shall I, um... (laughs) Shall I get the cheese Go get the cheese, I think this is going to be slightly more complicated. Right, I'm going to come over and present it. Just bring it over with the knife. Um, Oh my goodness. I've got a slight confession to make. I was really short of time today, and I was thinking, gosh, I haven't got the time to pop out and get any cheese. And then I opened my fridge, and no, I'm not joking, there was a cheese board in my fridge. I mean, that's just fate, isn't it? I've not just got one cheese, I've got one, two, three, four, 
I've got five different cheeses with a little dipping sauce. Oh, it's quince. Oh, it's quince. Such a funny word. It is a funny word, isn't it? Right, well, let me cut up a little bit of that. Oh, amazing. Thank um, you. And I will, um... Oh, we've also got a red onion chutney. Okay, so I'm not sure which one it is I'm trying right now, but we're just going to go with it. So, that was lovely, that. Good, I'm glad to hear it. Um, do we want to start on our arts? Yeah, you yeah. go first. I'm going to go first. Okay. Um, I'll kick it that off. That is lovely cheese. Mm. Oh, my God. Okay, what are you bringing me? What am I bringing? Hey, you know what I'm bringing you today? I'm going to place you a penny on the table. <laughs> in the day of my daughter's wedding. And I'm Maybe gonna you should p- get us in the kitchen, Mom. <laughs> on the day of my daughter's wedding. <laughs> so, as, <laughs> Sophie sounds like a steam train when she laughs. <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, I'm so the, pain, back. <laughs> the painting that I'm bringing to everyone today is called um, A Bar at the Folie Bergère by an artist you may or may not have heard of, French artist called Edouard Manet. Not, okay, yeah, not Manet. Monet. No, Manet. Manet did the water lilies that you've probably heard of. Manet did not do the water lilies. He did other things. He did other things. Right. So Manet has done this really, really incredible painting. And I've picked it because, simply, it's actually one of my favourites. It's actually quite simple, but it's really, really interesting. And there's just tons of mystery that surrounds it, despite the fact that it's actually quite a modern painting. It was made in 1882, and it's currently on display at the Courtauld Art Gallery in London. Oh, so you can go visit this go if visit you're it. in the UK. If you're in the UK, it's a, it's a quick visit. You'd... We went and saw it. We went and saw it. You and I did a couple of years ago, didn't we? we forgot what no, we went to I a didn't gallery forget. I didn't forget. It's part of the reason I picked Can't it. I can't believe it's not written down in your diary. <laughs> Yeah, so despite the fact that this painting is actually really famous, in this sort of trajectory or canon of art history, it's a really important one. It's something that quite a lot of people come back to when writing about art history or thinking about art history. So it's a good one to know. So just to give kind of an overview, uh, the painting is of a woman standing behind a bar at a place called Folie Bergère. Um, There is a mirror behind her uh, in which we can see all of the people sitting in the bar reflected uh, also reflected in the mirror is a man who we think is probably a customer but he is the source of a lot of mystery that is a that is a big mustache yeah it is a big mustache sort of <laughs> sophie gave me this funny look because i struggled to say the word mustache you say mustache which i think is what i don't some know what say. the correct way to say mustache 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 Must- mustache Mustache, mustache. <laughs> Take your pick. <laughs> so, first of all, what is it? What is the Folie Bergère? What is the setting? What is the location? So, the Folie Bergère is a real place. It was built as an opera house. However, it was also used for comedy. Um, popular songs were performed there. There were gymnastic displays and trapeze displays. Um, and the building has actually become a bit of an iconic institution. Is it still? Does it? Is it? St- I'm assuming it's in Paris. Yeah, it's is in it Paris. Still there? Absolutely, still there. People like Elton John have performed there. Oh. Um, Josephine Baker. Do you know Josephine? Oh Baker? my she goodness, performed she's there in amazing. The 19- yeah, she is just one of the most interesting people. She performed there in the 1920s. It was such a sort of iconic Parisian institution, and and it still is, to be honest. So when this painting came out, people would have known. Oh yeah, it's a bit like bar at the. It'd be like Nobu or something in London. Oh, you know, it oh, was. Oh, that's a great. It's one, one of those hubs that people go to, and you sort of see on all the Instagram influencers pages. It was a place for sort of the wealthy elite, the bourgeoisie. Ooh. It was a pretty posh institution. Um, and Manet loved this place. He visited it tons with friends, and he did loads of drawings on site. You can actually see a trapeze artist in the top of the picture. Um, oh, wow. I don't, yeah, you can just, you, you, you can only see her slippers. Yeah, she's just off to the oh my gosh, sort I of top it? left. She's got green shoes on. So, this is where the mystery starts. Okay. Who is the central figure? Who is the lady at the centre of the painting? The answer is, we don't really know. So, what we do know is that she is based on a real woman called Suzanne, who came to pose for the painting she she was actually a waitress at the Folie Bergère. Hank, sorry to interrupt. No, please Isn't do. this all pointing to the fact that this is Suzanne? Well, we do know 
who the model model is. Right. But we don't know necessarily who the figure is meant to be. We don't know what she's meant to represent. And there's a lot of theories that I'm going to talk about that are super interesting. Okay. Well, at an initial level, if you're looking at the painting just as it is, she's meant to represent a waitress or barmaid. However, that's boring. We don't like that. There's another layer to this. Okay. So there is a discussion that she might actually be a courtesan. Which is just another word for sex worker. Okay. And that the man visiting her in the reflection is a potential customer. So there are a couple of reasons why we think this. So to me, as as a layman, mm. who... <laughs> why laughing? It's just a bizarre use of the word layman. What? How, how else would you use the word layman? I'm not really sure. I've just Isn't not heard it. Isn't layman like, oh, in layman's terms? I've just not heard it sort of since the 15th century. But... <laughs> really? Are you serious? <laughs> no, please keep going. No, as someone... Okay, as someone who doesn't know... This to me, I don't know how to know mm. that she may or may not be a courtesan. Okay, so here's the thing: you've got to look for the symbols. Oh, okay. it's all about the educate symbols. me on the symbols. Now. So on the bar in front of her, there are a load of bottles um, and really enticing items. So there's champagne, there's wine, peppermint liqueur, and there's something called British base beer or British bass beer. I'm not quite sure how to say it. Peppermint liqueur. Peppermint sounds disgusting. Disgusting. It sounds a little bit like Sambuca. We should get that one week. I, okay, I actually am going to stand in defence of Sambuca. I think Where, Sambuca... Where's Sambuca come from? What, peppermint liqueur? Is that Sambuca? No, 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 peppermint liqueur. It's not, I just think it sounds quite you similar. You just decided to talk think, about something what, else. What? <laughs> I just think, do you not think peppermint liqueur probably tastes quite similar to Sambuca? I think it tastes like mouthwash. That's my guess. Well, it'd be fine then if you drank that and then you had to kiss somebody, wouldn't it? Because you just have nice, fresh, minty breath. I know, but you wouldn't enjoy drinking that. Not like the wine we're having. All I'm saying is bring back peppermint liqueur. And Sambuca. And Sambuca. (laughs) We stan Sambuca. (laughs) Peppermint liqueur. Um, You've got all these beautiful wines and drinks and really sort of enticing commodities. And the idea is that, if you look at the painting, also kind of sitting on the shelf. If you look at the perspective of it, it looks like she's, she's also... another si- drink. It looks like she's sitting there amongst all the drinks and the fruits and the, you know, the things yeah. on sale. But also and her body is, looks like a bottle. It, you, do you know what? That's actually... <laughs> look, you're laughing, but that's not a completely... No. Wrong interpretation, actually, if I look at it again. You know, like wine bottle openers with the arms? No, you're... That I always think they look like women. No, do you know, you're not... Not women, just people with arms. Do you know what, So That is actually so interesting, because if you look at the colour of her hair, you look at her bodice, and then you look at the champagne bottles to her left. The champagne, the base of the bottle is <gasps> yes, black. Yes, the same colours! And the top is actually the same colour as her hair. So, do you know what? That's actually not a completely ludicrous interpretation. Have I got a PhD in history of art now? <laughs> A pretty huge discovery. If you discovery. don't have one by the end of the podcast, you don't get an honorary PhD, then okay. look, I give up. Honestly, <laughs> I, what is the point? Okay. Um, so the idea is that she is also one of the commodities She's on for sale. sale. Exactly. Mm. If this is true, um, this could sort of be an allusion to perceptions of 19th century feelings of sexual degeneracy and immorality because it was a huge age of sort of growth and development. People... Um, I'm not going to go into the history of it because it's going to take me forever and I find it far too interesting and probably a lot of people would find it far too boring. But that is kind of what it reflects. But something else that supposedly contributes to this theory that she is a sex worker are also the oranges on the counter. So this guy called um, Larry L. Ligo, what a name, said that Manet habitually associated oranges with sex work in his paintings. Uh, And TJ Clark, another theorist, said that the barmaid is intended to represent one of the sex workers for which the Folie Bergère was well known. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So it seems that the Folie Bergère was sort of known as an establishment for sex work. So there was a reputation. Clark said that she both represents both the salesperson and a commodity, something that is purchased along with a drink. Something else about this that is really weird and interesting and mysterious is that the perspective of the painting is off. And you think, crikey, Georgie, what is so interesting about perspective? But if you look at the painting... There is this mirror behind her and there is a reflection, as I mentioned, of a customer buying something from her. Now, by the logic of the painting and where everything is set out to be, we are the customer. Mm. The man that is buying from her... That is us. That should be our reflection. I've got the moustache. Yeah, exactly. So if if the mirror behind her was, was real, we should be the man. That being said, 
it doesn't quite work. It doesn't quite fit. Her back is slightly skewed from her front. I don't she's really like, know how to she's describe like leaning. It. Isn't she, it's she? all a, it's all just a little bit off. It's all a little bit disconcerting and slightly jarring and weird and and uncomfortable. And and when you look at it initially, you think, oh, what a beautiful painting. And then the more you look at it, the more unsettling it becomes. It just it just doesn't it just doesn't work. So we are the person that is buying her as an object, as a sex worker, as a courtesan. We are here to employ her services, and that is the reflection. And sure, that doesn't quite work with the perspective, but we, as a viewer, are in some way contributing to this sort of sexually rich and scandalous environment. It's so much more complicated than I think you first realise. I get the thing about the bottles and I get Mm. the thing about the oranges, but I don't understand what the off perspective means well this is the thing no one really knows he just did it and he, he would just have did known it better basically he would have known better no no one really knows and i have been scouring my research and there are so many theories a lot of which are just too kind of convoluted and i don't want to say over the top but convoluted to reduce into a nice succinct point but the idea is is that it is intended to unsettle and I think make you as a viewer think and think about question what you're how question. they normalized it and also question what your relationship to her as a figure is and what your relationship with the scene is. So yeah, so you know something else to to think about just as a side note from that is it's a really simple thing but actually these things will add up. In her chest is a posy of flowers and Manet seems to have painted them there kind of in the anticipation that the the viewer was going to be looking at her chest so when this was first exhibited the majority of the viewers would have been men art was never made for the women that's the other thing art was made for men art was made for the male gaze and the male gaze is something that will come up quite a lot in conversation um the male gaze is this sort of concept in in which art particularly art of women was made for male enjoyment so women were sort of presented as objects for male pleasure and male viewing only. So this is this is one of those paintings. And, you know, it's not quite so obviously made for the male viewer, but the chances are the people looking at the painting weren't men. So there's a man standing there in front of this woman, looking at it, deciding whether he likes the painting, looking at all the features of it, thinking, oh, this is nice, I don't like that. And Manet is making the viewer go, hang on, who am I to this woman? Who am I to this painting? What do I represent? And what is my relationship to this scene? So going back to the flowers thing, there's a really good chance that, you know, she's got this this sort of posy of flowers in her chest. And Manny is presupposing that the male viewer would have come up and gone, here's a pretty young thing. Let's have a look at her boobs. It's gone to look at her boobs. And actually, there's a posy of flowers there. Now, I would argue, and a lot of academics would argue and sort of theorists that flowers represent female genitals and now that sounds the most sort of major jump but it is really interesting and you really you know just to have a read about why this is the case it's it's really really fascinating so the flowers in this painting are kind of a direct allusion to female sexuality so to have these flowers here is actually really quite sort of flirtatious um it's like look look at my chest but you can't see my chest but you can still see that I'm a sexual being. So it's sort of coy and coquettish and flirtatious and sexual, but also sort of, again, mysterious. Something that someone else pointed out is that the um, the actual shape of the posy of flowers is quite triangular. And that sort of mimics the shape of the label on the, I think it's the British Bass Beer to the right-hand side of the painting. So again, it just, it's like a label on her. It's like she is just this commodity there for sort of selling and enjoyment. And um, yeah, I just think that was really quite an interesting point. You know, a lot of, a lot of the the thing is a lot of, with, with a lot of these interpretations, it's, it really is subjective. You know, it's really open for your own interpretation and enjoyment. And sure, a lot of the time there's interpretations that are a lot more kind of valid and, and credible because they're based in historic reality but with something like that you know there's no real way of knowing unless Manet has specifically written about it and I don't think he has and that's when it's so interesting because anybody can have their opinion you can look at any painting and go that's funny that thing reminds me of that or that looks a little bit like that and there you go you're an art historian you've got your own opinions and it was like when I said the thing, oh, she looks like a bottle, yeah. and laughed at myself. And you were like, no, that is that. Like, it's a valid, it's a valid, yeah. it's a very valid interpretation. We need more things in life that aren't known. No. Do you know what I mean? Like, we need more things, and it's like, who knows? The painting is is probably 
what we would classify as impressionist although there is a certain degree of reality in it so impressionist paintings topics and techniques usually reflected uh, the challenges that modern society faced so there's a lot of rapid brush strokes um, which allowed artists to capture people's facial expressions um, a lot of light chimney smoke um, movement. This is sort of all off the back of the critic called Solange Gleasy, who's 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 spoken about what the impressionists did. And um, but the impressionists also just love scenes of everyday life. So people like just everyday workers, sex workers, cafes, train travellers, waitresses, theatre goers, opera goers, children, people swimming. You know, it was just everyday life. Am I right in saying it was kind of? concentrated in Paris that's where it was yeah, kind of that developed was sort of the epicenter of yeah. it all sure yeah there was a huge amount of it and actually a lot of the impressionists like to paint in similar locations to one another but Monet is probably arguably the most sort of recognizable impressionist yeah. painter but yeah so to the left of, of this this main woman we can see a woman with a set of binoculars and he just it's one again it's one of those features that you just completely overlook it but actually what she's representing is this real culture at the time of looking and everyone at the time was obsessed with looking, gossip and sort of slightly salacious modern pleasures like opera, theatre, sex, shopping, cafes, fashion. Everyone just wanted to see everyone and also show off and be seen. It's so, just like Instagram. It's exactly it's just, like Instagram. So when you say this is like the Nobu, mm. that's exactly what it yeah, was. Yeah, it really absolutely. was kind of like, oh, what are they doing? What are we doing? Yeah. Like this kind of obsession with like looking at how other humans live. What other people were up to. <gasps> sure. Yeah, completely. And oh. if you look at a lot of art actually across, across this period, there's... The binoculars come up an awful lot and people looking at other people come up an awful lot and you think, well, that's not particularly interesting. But it really is because it is they have been put in there as a direct allusion to this culture of other people being absolutely obsessed with what everyone else was up to. Mm. Everyone wanted to know everyone else's business. Everybody else wanted to know what they were doing, who they were wearing, what they were wearing, who they were sleeping with. It was just this great big culture of gossip and it's fascinating. So that's what this woman alludes to sitting there and, and particularly a place like the Folie Bergère, which was just a hub of cultural activity. And also, if you're going to go and do this thing and hire a sex worker, someone knows. Yes, of course they do. Someone knows that Someone's you're doing it. I mean, watching. it probably wouldn't have been as a uh, salacious mm. thing, but like, because mm. it was probably happening all the time. Yeah. Someone's yeah, watching yeah, you. Yeah, Someone's absolutely. watching you watch her. Sure, completely. <gasps> so the, the oranges as well, they don't just represent supposed sex work. They also arguably represent moral degradation. So they're kind of, they're lovely and great and beautiful fresh pieces of fruit. But over time, they will fade and they will rot and they will decay. And this is kind of a, a subtle illusion from Manet that, you know, enjoy life's pleasures right now. But if you continue to act in this way it will fade it will rot it will decay and society will ultimately fall isn't that just insane oh just my these, god like, you just spoke right through to me but okay so <laughs> i'm gonna continue though because there's a really good reason that manet has got this really bleak and negative attitude and that is because manet at this point in time is actually dying <gasps> from syphilis no so underlying this painting this is one of the very last paintings that Manet painted before he died he actually died a year later from syphilis and I think people thought it was rheumatism but actually he knew it was syphilis he knew that he was dying he just had one shag too many okay (laughs) and unfortunately it was catching up with him so he knew he was on his way out and actually he was so unwell that he wasn't even able to go to the Folie Bergère to paint this so now someone once told me and I can't find any reference to this on the internet but I stand by the fact that it was true was that he actually got somebody to construct a model of the Folie Bergère bar in his artist studio and this lady, Suzanne, would come and pose behind the bar. So he painted this picture from his artist studio with a, an artificial bar. So Manet is thinking, okay, look, I'm on my way out. I'm dying. I've slept with one person too many. I've had a bit too much fun. Everything's coming to an end. I'm dying. But he's also thinking, well, hang on. This is what the rest of society's doing. I've got to warn them. So he plants in the oranges and he's saying, look, these are great and beautiful now. But like everything else... They're gonna fade. They're gonna rot. They're gonna. They're gonna dry out. Can I ask something really stupid? Why oranges? 
Why not like a I grapefruit think, or an apple? I, do, do you know, I think it probably could have been done with any fruit because it's fruit... It's just like a living I think it, it's just food, that fruit... A grown food. Yeah, fruit okay. sort of typically symbolises sort of fertility and virility and sort of success. It's a really sort of positive thing about life. So I suppose to have an orange in there alludes to that. But why he didn't use another fruit, I don't know. I think it was probably just a an, an interesting artistic choice. I'm not really sure if this... question I just asked... <laughs> But just a quote from Manet that I think is really interesting. So, you would hardly believe how difficult it is to place a figure alone on a canvas and to concentrate all the interest on this single and universal figure and still keep it living and real. And I think he's just done that. I think the fact that we are talking about this painting however many years later and still discussing this woman at the centre of it all, Suzanne, and who she represents, I think is testament to how successful and beautiful and important this painting is in the art historical canon. And, you know, there's part of me that really wants to get the answers to the uncertainties of it all, but there's also a part of me that thinks, I kind of don't want to know. I kind of mm. want it to be a mystery forever. And We're not meant to know. No, I continue to discuss it and come up with lots of theories. So, yeah, that's um, that's my painting. Good. Really good. Let's take a break. Let's take a break, yeah. We'll and we'll come back, back to mine. With yours. Another glass of wine. Oh, goodness, the pressure's on. That was so good. Right, so I'm not going to do, like, one painting and analyse it loads. I'm going to talk more about the artist okay. and a couple of the pieces that they did. Mm. Interesting. Um, but it is interesting. I find it very interesting. So I'm going to talk to you today about Propezia de Rossi. Propezia de Rossi mm. was born in Bologna during the Renaissance and... I was trying to come up with a way to describe what the Renaissance was, but I think you're the expert. Do you want to maybe... You might be better at describing what the Renaissance was. Basically, the Renaissance was... I think it means quite literally rebirth. Yeah, um, of like classical... Right, so it's this regeneration of classical art. So it's this sort of development into what often people look at as the absolute pinnacle of artistic achievement. So that was the Renaissance, and the High Renaissance is basically just the absolute pinnacle. Um, so it's a lot of work that is very classically inspired. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it was the the kind of heart of it was in Italy. Sure. And you know the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. So all those names like Raphael, mm-hmm. Michelangelo, Leonardo, Donatello. Mm-hmm. Those were the artists that were like the the Beatles, the Beatles of the Renaissance. Mm-hmm. And it was really inspired by kind of... So Italy, obviously, was, was where, like, the Romans and... Mm. Like, you, there's loads of Roman ruins and, you know, it's where the Roman Empire was based. So there was this time called, like, the Dark Ages where that, like, that wasn't a lot going on. And then the skills kind of got kind of uh, streamlined and then there was, as Georgie said, this Renaissance where, like, the pinnacle of art was amazing. Yeah, as you say, a lot of it was inspired by, like, classical antiquity. Mm-hmm. Around this time, they'd kind of dug up all these sculptures from the Roman Empire and mm. the Greek Empire. So they were kind of looking at these things being like, hang on, how did they do that and we can't do that? Let's learn how to do that. So it won't come as a surprise to many that this was a very male-heavy, dominated oh, yeah. world. So Propezia de Rossi was um, a Renaissance, not only artist, but she was a sculptor, which was basically unheard of. It was like, how is there a woman who can do that? So she was born in Bologna, which is bang next to Florence. Which is where they make bolognese. It is, and it's where spaghetti bolognese, even though it's not really a dish in Italy, but yeah. It's not a dish in Italy. It's not like a thing. It's spaghetti like, bolognese isn't a thing. It's in not. Italy. It's not a thing. Right, but Davide on Love Island just made spaghetti bolognese for everybody. But I feel like it's not. There's like bolognese sauce, but it's a very like anglicised thing. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so Bologna's bang next to Florence, which was mm. the um, Florence and Rome were like the epicenters. So Michelangelo, all them lot, they all kind of worked in Florence and Rome and all these places. So mm-hmm. she was born in Bologna, and that's where there was actually because those were the epicenters. That's where a lot of the female artists of the time mm-hmm. were concentrated. But there were approximately twenty-five female artists during this time, compared to the probably thousands, yeah, tens of thousands of male artists. And there, so yes, yeah, so there were other female artists at the time or sculptors at the time, but they were usually born into artistic families. So their fathers were professors or their fathers were artists. Yeah. 
but um, De Rossi wasn't. So her reputation grew, and I'll tell you how her reputation grew in a minute. And then eventually she got better and better, and she was commissioned by the Cathedral of San Petronio in Bologna. And she was commissioned to work on a set of reliefs with scenes from the book of Genesis. And then she was commissioned by the Grassi family, which is what I'm going to talk about today. So the Grassi family commissioned this. And this is called the Grassi Family Coat of Arms, and it's one of only two surviving works attributed to De Rossi. So there are other things that are around that people think was her thing, Mm. but this is definitely by her. And so I'm going to read a couple of facts off that will start to build up an idea of what she was like. So on one side of of the Coat of Arms, you've got Christ Apostles, and on the other side, you've got Female Saints. Female Saints? Yes, that's the first thing. So... A lot of art historians will look at it and be like, wow, that's so impressive, so intricate, so elaborate for something so small. It measures 39 by 22 centimetres. That's probably Yeah, it's that. really small. That is small. For a sculpture. Yeah, it is. And this would have been a big deal for the Grassi family to have commissioned, like mm. a sculpture with gemstones and biblical kind but of iconography. You're it would have been a big about, deal. You're probably about to explain this, but what's it made of? So what? here's the thing. Okay. So a lot of his art historians and scholars would be like, this is amazing. It's mm-hmm. so intricate. So blah, blah, blah. But gemstone dealers would be like, nah, I'm not into oh. it. And I'll tell you for why. Have a look. Have a little look. Yeah, I'm looking. Those big stones in it are the pits of peaches, <gasps> plums and cherries. And do you know why that is? Why? She taught herself mm. to sculpt mm. on peach pits. I have oh. never, ever heard of anything quite like that. Thank you. Yeah, I know. That is so Unbelievable. So there's a man called Vasari. 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 So yeah, so he was like a really, he was like... Lives of the artists. Yeah, like yeah. the first ever art historian, yeah. right? He wrote this massive book about these artists during the Renaissance, and she was the only female artist. This is why this podcast is good, okay? (laughs) Look, I really don't know everything about art. Actually, I know quite little. Despite the fact that I have studied it, though, for about seven years, right? I have never heard of this woman. Yeah. I've never heard of any of this. Mm -hmm. That is so interesting. So Vasari was like the OG art historian. Big boy, yeah. And the only female in... His, in this first edition there were more in the second edition but in the first edition she was the only one included and there were 140 artists in this book and she was the only woman and he said in his book that she taught herself and like there's apparently and I think you can find it I might be wrong apparently she did like the passion of Christ sculpted into a peach pit and then she moved on to marble and like um, engraving and Vasari had a complicated relationship with female artists Mm -hmm. so you know on one hand people are like oh he was so impressed with De Rossi he was like oh my god yeah and then there are other quotes that where he's literally like their tender hands tried like he didn't he could he was really like oh my god this is so impressive because how did a woman do this yeah he thought that the graceful I'm reading this off my notes. Graceful female body was unsuited to the physical demands of chiselling marble. Oh, crikey. Yeah, I know. So let me talk to you a bit more about the grassy family coat of arms. So, in this piece of art, there are 11 peach and plum stones inserted into the silver filigree work. Now, she didn't do the filigree work. Some other people did it. Brothers Giacomo and Andrea Jesse. The stones themselves are carved with martyrs and virgins portrayed full length with their specific mottos and iconographical features. And then in the boxwood cross at the centre, it's thought that relics were placed in it. Right. Um, and four smaller seeds depict the figures of Christ and the Virgin. So, in, sorry, just to confirm, in each of those pits, there is an image yeah a carving of a saint or a virgin so it kind of shows how a woman who was interested in art and interested in a very male dominated Mm. field literally had to teach herself Mm. and she used whatever she could right i i don't know what the other guys did but they probably didn't do that what women or men men well men were in men were in these schools they'd often have this master that would she wouldn't have been allowed to do that no so one of the reasons why i love it is because it's it's early mixed media in a Mm. way it was a time the renaissance was a time that sort of um it was all about purity and form so 
We mentioned earlier Michelangelo's David, which is purely marble. So something like this with gold and metal and peach pits mm. is, is like, I don't know anything about art, but I don't know anything like that, like mm, this. Let's no, use different mediums. So the other piece that's attributed to her, you're going to love this. Okay. So this is that relic that I talked to you about that was in this cathedral. So she yes. was commissioned by the Cathedral of San Petronio in Bologna. She was one of several artists brought into work on a set of reliefs with scenes from the Book of Genesis. Now De Rossi did Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Isn't Joseph as so, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about um, Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat, a.k.a. Donny Osmond. A.k.a. the greatest musical ever was made. It's brilliant if you haven't seen it. If you have seen it, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. Joseph and was... Did he seduce Potivar's wife? No, Potivar's wife Potiphar's seduced, wife seduced him. him. Yes. yes. Yeah. So she did that. Oh my god! Yeah, and it's the only thing that's attributed to her in the cathedral. I mean, she did all these other things, but it's the only thing. And it's now not in the cathedral, it's somewhere else, I can't remember where. Right. It was uh, depicted the Old Testament story of Joseph fleeing Potiphar's wife. Yeah. This was 1525, 1526. And Vasari, this OG art historian that we've spoken about, he kind of inferred that the reason she did it so well... (laughs) is because biographically it's thought to relate to this extramarital affair she had mm-hmm. so he basically was like she did it so well because she had, she was in the throes of passion right and this guy she was this guy didn't love her oh my crikey yeah. Right? Scandal. She did it so successfully, according to Vasari, because she was madly in love with a handsome young man who cared little for her, and that in carving this piece she was able to get over her passion. Okay, okay. What we know about Dorossi, most of it comes from Vasari, mm. because it's like one of them only surviving surviving, surviving pieces of like surviving analysis. Yeah, sure. But the problem with using him as a source as Bible is that like he emphasizes the notion that women are controlled by their passions mm. and melancholy. That now, yeah. throughout the centuries and now, people are like, that is not why it's so good. It's so good yeah. because she's good. It's not she's good just because really she experienced it. If she yeah. experienced it, she experienced it. Right. So this is basically, it was actually more about her awareness of the latest developments in artistic representation, Mm. expressed in naturalism of the human form and elegance of movement, rather than her being like, he left me, like, I'm going to do something beautiful now. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That reputation of her being this heartbroken vixen type Mm. kind of stayed with her for a really long time. It was like basically her reputation because it... Vasari, that was the only thing that was written about her, really. So it kind of stayed with her, and there's more written on her, but it's interesting that that's her rep. So if you look her up, all of it is about this, like, heartbroken concubine woman who, yeah, it's really sad. But Vasari isn't the only source Mm. that recent scholars have looked into. Oh, yeah, this is really, so yeah, this is a little like. Eyes, which makes me think that something very exciting this is so about exciting. To I didn't know this. Right. I knew the peach bit thing, but I didn't know this. Okay. So, the other place that scholars have found information about her mm. is the Bologna criminal records. <gasps> <laughs> she appeared twice before tribunal. Oh. Yeah. First, for allegedly destroying her neighbour's garden. <laughs> He was a velvet merchant, and she destroyed it with a man called Anton Galeazzo Malvasia, who she was allegedly the concubine of. What were they doing in the garden? I reckon they were just like post-coital and were like, should we do something mad? And just just like thrashed. Or maybe he was like, can you keep it down? Just went and dug up the garden. Just thrashed the garden. She had to go before tribunal about it. (laughs) What? She's just like up-and-coming artist I'd just go on tribunal and be like yeah that was me that pulled up his hydrangeas I'm sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> the second one yeah the second one she went on tribunal for trespassing and assaulting another artist called Vincenzo Miola and she assaulted him with a man called Domenico Francia and uh, she assaulted him by throwing paint at his face and scratching <laughs> his eyes. 
Listeners, we're laughing because it's because I don't think Georgie was expecting me to I say that. I just really wasn't expecting throwing paint at him. Yeah, threw paint at his face. Why am I just imagining her know. having these sort of episodes in her neighbour's garden, just pulling up hydrangeas, just throwing paint everywhere? I know. Did you know that I got in trouble when I was about seven years old? I had a teacher at school who I just don't think liked me very much. And I put paint on my hand and I, I painted my hand and I just put it on my face and I painted it again and I put it on my other friend's face. So he had these handprints, kind of castaway style. You know Wilson, he's got the handprint on him. That was what I looked like. And I had to walk around school for the rest of the day. The teacher was like, why have you got paint on your face? And I said, I don't, I don't really know. And I got what was called a demerit, which was the equivalent of a detention. But it wasn't oh, detention, know. it was just a bad mark next to your name. And I would go to bed every night and sob myself to sleep that oh, I had no. got this demerit. And I thought, how am I going to tell my parents? They thought it was hilarious. They really did not care. But it was just, again, the paint thing. And that's what, what I thought of when you started telling me about her antics. Yeah, so she went before tribunal about it. That's crazy. The other thing that uh, Vasari wrote about, about the Joseph and Potiphar's wife thing, was that apparently she was paid, and I quote, a most beggarly price for her work. Mm. attributed to someone called Amico Aspertini, who wow. had worked hard to ruin her commission and pay. And then Vasari said that she never worked for the cathedral again. Oh. Which gosh. is supported by the absence of her on their records. Quite From 1526. So she was quite um, an influential person, so much so that the newly appointed Pope Clement VII heard that Propensia was a noble and elevated genius. Mm. So she was about, I think, like 39, 40 by this point, which he heard this about her way back in Rome. Yeah. So he was like, oh, I want to meet her. I think I might want to commission something. And on his way to meet her, in that week, she died. So she died really, really young. And the intrigue about her is because of this, like, really well-known use of fruit stones. Yeah. And then also, unfortunately, the stories of her litigious nature and her unhappy marital life. But there's an amazing poem, I can't remember who it's by, um, a Victorian poem, not Victorian, but like a kind of around that time, 19th mm. century poet. And she kind of wants, she, in this poem, it's quite a long poem, but she sort of talks about how what De Rossi did was she she, she changed women from being the muse yeah. to being the artist. Wow. She was one of the first to do it. One of the first women to do it, or at least in the public eye. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And even though Vasari was a bit sort of like, mm, I'm not sure if their weak little hands can do it. Mm-hmm. At the end of his chapter on De Rossi, he said, Even so, the marbles sculpted by her hand show what a woman can do with vigorous talent and skill. My God. Which I think is just a really interesting quote because you can mm. take it as like, yeah, they can. Or you can take it as, oh, how impressive. She yeah. did all that. You yeah. Know? Absolutely. Artists, you know, that is so interesting. I, As I said earlier, I have never, ever, ever heard of her. Yeah. Never heard of her. And I don't know of any other artist or sculptor who um, who sculpts using fruit stones. That's just amazing. That's I just so think it's amazing how, like, she did what she had to do. Mm. And mm. she was apparently really talented. Like, she was an amazing singer and dancer and, like, all this stuff. Hey, well, she was the OG Renaissance man. Do you know what I mean when I say the OG Renaissance man? The Renaissance man was this idea or ideal of a man that could do everything. But it was a man. You know, they were were good at physics. They were good at art. They were good at literature and poetry. And I think it was Michelangelo that was just considered to be the absolute OG Renaissance Mm. man. And actually, what you're saying there is that de Rossi was also Mm. the OG Renaissance man. But actually renaissance woman yeah that's so interesting so it's so cool and i really want to go see the peach pits now because like peach pits tiny where where do you know any, any of her stuff is on display is it all bologna. in italy yeah i think it's bologna well that's an excuse for a trip to italy we're gonna take a little break and we'll come back with our next segment unexpected art in unexpected places Ooh. so we're now doing our segment um lovingly referred to as unexpected art and unexpected places and in the break i was just taking a photograph of sophie and sophie says is that yours and i say what do you mean is that mine she said is that yours am i the unexpected art and an unexpected am place? i the unexpected art no unexpected you're place? not the unexpected art and unexpected place my unexpected so, art so egotistical is am actually I... <laughs> am i the center of everyone oh, else's yeah. universe <laughs> 
Well, the idea is that, look, we've just done some quite academic and refined pieces of art history. Yeah. But there's art everywhere, guys. Each episode, we're going to bring each other a picture that we've taken. A picture or an object. Or an object, something where we've been like, that was my art. Or a description. In my everyday life. Mm. So actually, my my, um, unexpected art is actually really, really wholesome. It's also a bit of a humble brag, I suppose. Um, my mum... My <laughs> mum... eye contact right now is <laughs> salacious. My mum and I are both beekeepers. And it's got to that point in the year where we start extracting honey because the hive is getting really full. The bees have got more honey than they could possibly make use of. And what I've got to show no. you... No. No, this is... That's amazing! This is... What I've got in front of me is a jar of collected honeycomb um is honeycomb (gasps) that the bees have made and in the bottom of it is actually honey from our bees oh what my good i've I've taken a picture so you can all see but it is unbelievable smell sweet that is oh my goodness but it's just amazing that's just completely made by animals i just think it's so interesting great (laughs) i listen i licked it and it tasted lovely and i ate it and it wasn't lovely that I just think that's, that's my unexpected art in an unexpected place. So yours is in the jar. Talk to me more about why what that means to you. As in, like, why why did you choose that? Um, I don't really know how to answer it, but we've, we've got these bees in our garden that are just beautiful and lovely. We, as I said, went for this honey harvest and we found all of this honeycomb that was built on the inside of the frame, so it shouldn't really have been there, so we had to break it off, unfortunately, but it doesn't affect the bees at all, it's absolutely fine. You've just got to do it to maintain the hive. And it was sitting there in a jar, and it's been sitting there for ages. And I was, every time I walk past it, I just think, wow, that is so beautiful. Yeah, I think that I think that's really, you know, quite spectacular. That's and the answer. It's a creation, isn't it? And I suppose most art is a creation. So and it's nature. It's nature. And nature is absolutely beautiful. Okay, um, what's yours? Well, mine's not nearly as beautiful as this. Oh, that doesn't matter. So um, I was recently on holiday mm. in... Greece. And I was walking down the road, up the road, should I say, it's very hilly where I was. So I was walking up a hill and I saw this and I took a picture of it. Hang on. Do you want to explain what it is? So Sophie's taking this really, very literally. She's not sort of taking a kind of a beautiful moment in society, you know, a mother hugging a son, perhaps. No. What she's got here is a sort of (laughs) strawberry coloured building with a flight of steps in front and some paving. And on the paving in the foreground, you've got a cigarette butt and then you've got a lemon. Yeah. Right. So, and actually off to the left, I should know that you've got some bicycle wheels. Yeah. And two people in the background. Is oh, that there people in the background? There's, there's, a, oh, there's two people in the background. Oh, I didn't know that. So Sophie has actually constructed a very artistic image. Yeah. So you've taken the assignment really quite literally. This I is... really have. I just thought a lemon. What? What's a, a lemon a c- and a cigarette? With a cigarette butt, right? Just really it. got me. I think some... you've got life and death there. <gasps> when life gives you lemons. Oh, Harry, you're a genius. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, so mine's not as beautiful as the honey hexagon as you, but I just saw a lemon and a cigarette butt, and I thought, wow, that is so interesting. Thank you, Sophie. And the I thing feel... is, I sound really like I'm mocking myself, but in all seriousness, I saw it and I thought, wow. Sophie, same question that you asked me. What does this mean to you as a photograph? Well, I think it means life and death. No, that was Harry's. That was Harry's um, uh, analysis. No, for me, people who put a cigarette butt on the floor, you don't think about it. You just keep walking. Sure. If I dropped a lemon, I'd be thinking about About it. Do you know what I mean? I know. So you don't think the lemons come from a lemon tree? No! Right. Someone has dropped the lemon, they've thrown it out the window. I couldn't believe there was a lemon on the floor. Our sweet art of the week. The sweet art of the week. It's all about bringing awareness to people who deserve it. Exactly. So this week I have picked Badil Jane. Do you know Badil Jane? No. You probably do know Badil Jane. Oh, I love that. She is... A Dutch artist. I think she currently lives in Holland. Can I look her up while you're talking? Yeah, please do. I've got some pictures, actually. Oh, yeah, cool. Um, 
A hand one to Harry, Thank one you. to Sophie, oh, and one to myself. Um, you probably recognise it because she's actually done a lot of the prints <gasps> on our fa one of our favourite brands, which is Papier. I'm not sponsored oh, by Papier. Oh my goodness! Um, also, this is very much a you. This is this is quite a Georgie. This is a very Georgie sure. kind of like you'd have this on your wall. Yeah. You'd buy a dress with this print. Yeah. If I saw a card with a print of this, I'd get it for you for your birthday. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this really great quote on her website. So the illustrator's work, she's an illustrator, I should say. She does a lot of stuff digitally, but she also does it, she does a lot of stuff through hand as well. The quote on her website says, the illustrator's work is often female-focused, featuring characters that are approachable. Viewers even comment that they see themselves in her work the way you'd recognise an old friend. And it is so true. She just paints every single kind of person underneath the sun. And her works are colourful and happy and uplifting and familiar um, and just just so beautiful. And as Sophie said, it's the sort of art that you'd want on your wall. That's she's um, she's she's fantastic. So she she is a known artist, but she's still pretty small. I will put her Instagram on our Instagram, so you'll be able to find her. But she's she's just really great, and I think that she's someone that deserves a bit more recognition. She's doing fantastically. She's really making it on her own. But if we can get some more eyes on our yeah. stuff. So what's her name, sorry? Badil Jane. Badil Jane. So go B -O -D -I -L. follow Badil Jane on Instagram. On Instagram, yeah. Okay. Thanks, Badil Jane. I um, love that. Well, I think that's everything, Sophie, isn't it? Yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. We started this and I was really nervous and we've ended this and I'm really pissed. So it's fantastic. <laughs> I'm joking. Mum and Dad, I'm not pissed. I am. I am. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie, I'm over here. <laughs> My face thing, sweetheart. <laughs> so, on that note, if you have enjoyed us, please subscribe to us, leave us a review, give us five stars, post about us on your social media, uh, talk about us to your friends, get them listening. You can follow us on Instagram at artsing underscore about underscore podcast. You can get in touch with us via email. You can ask us any questions and correct us. Please correct us because I know that we've got stuff wrong. Or you can get in touch with us via email at artsing.about.podcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, send us your suggestions, give us your feedback. We want to hear from you. Yeah, drop us a message. Even if it's just like, I had eggs on toast for breakfast, I'd be like, thanks, Jean. Jean, just a good name to select so freely, yeah, isn't thank it? Thank you. Yeah, I thought I was quick on that. I'm really on it. Well done, despite <laughs> all the wine. Yeah, so thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Please stay tuned for next week because it's going to be even better and slicker and smoother when we know exactly what we're doing. <laughs> Not. Not. <laughs> all right, bye, guys. See you soon. This has been Artsing About with Georgie Turner and Sophie Doyle. Sound and music by Harry Jones. If you would be interested in hearing where Sophie and I complete our research, please contact us via the email address in the description.